0: Today's episode is Banachek, No Sign of the Cross. This is episode three of season one. This episode was directed by Daryl Duke and written by Robert Presnell Jr. and Howard Brown. The original air date was October 11th, 1972. Let's get right to the episode summary. An ex-gangster makes a gift of a rare cross to the Catholic Church in an attempt to buy redemption. When the cross is stolen... Banachek tries to deliver a miracle, the crime. An ex-gangster who is exiled in Mexico has gathered a priest, a colonel, and a business guy it's like the premise of a joke to transport a wealthy and rare cross across the border to the U.S. as a gift for the Catholic Church so that he can get back into heaven because Jesus is open for business. The colonel and the priest drive across the border with the cross in a briefcase handcuffed to the priest they meet up with two other guys in a car across the border and hand over the briefcase when the two guys arrive at the destination and the case is opened the cross has been replaced by a fake iron cross oh snap the banachek intro banachek meets with the boston cardinal they sip brandy Discuss ex-gangsters making bribes to the church to get into heaven and corrupt the definition of miracle from the impossible made possible to a subjectively beneficial outcome. They stop short of discussing institutional pedophilia. Banachek and Jay fly to L.A. so that Banachek can meet with John Weymouth from the insurance company. This guy's office is so dark, it's like he's developing film in there. Weymouth resents Banachek's involvement, same as every insurance guy in every episode, and tells him so. The Polish proverb. Outside of Weymouth's office, Di Lorenzo's granddaughter is waiting to pick up Banachek. She's in her mid twenties, very attractive. She wants to drive Banachek to her grandfather's house. On the drive, she tells Banachek why her grandfather wants to give the church the cross, and Banachek gives her the Polish proverb. Let's listen.
1: Twelve good horses and silver candlesticks won't stop the snow falling in Bialystok. It's an old Polish saying. Is there an old Polish translation? Well, I think it means there are some things money can't buy. I like that. It was very astute.
0: Now Banachek meets with di lorenzo whose name i'm going to butcher this entire episode he's gruff and he talks like this di lorenzo refers to banachek as banana Check, which is brilliant a very trumpian nickname and tells him not to stare at broads he says that paul andros stole the cross paul andros and him are rivals from the old days he thinks paul stole it just to spite him banachek visits paul andros He's working out in an old-timey gym in the top floor of his office building. He and Bananachek have a Schwitz. Andros tells Bananachek that he sold off his collectibles years ago. Beyond that, he isn't much help. So now we're at an elitist prick, Robert Morgan's ridiculous party with Weymouth and the art dealer, Michelle Lanier. The guests are dressed in period costume. Morgan comes out wearing a French Revolution period outfit and a white wig. There's a bear there being paraded around by an Asian woman in period costume. Banachek begins talking with a woman who is a trophy of Morgan's. She is dressed in period costume as well. Banachek and her begin flirting, of course, because... Banana check flirts with every woman, and no woman can resist him. They go into a bedroom and then they share a kiss and Then Morgan barges in, and he's pissed that Banana check is touching one of his possessions. He slaps the woman once and is about to again when Banana check stops him. Morgan pulls out his sword and goes after Banana check. Banana check defends himself with furniture and a fireplace iron. Then he knocks out Morgan and leaves. Outside, he finds the granddaughter, and it's implied that he leaves with her and spends the night with her, of course. Just consider the place of privilege that this guy is coming from. He assaults a woman who he considers a possession of his, and then attempts to murder Banachek with a sword because his feelings were hurt. And instead of calling the police and having the guy arrested... Bananachek simply leaves the party because there's a separate justice system, of course, for elitist pricks like this guy, and he knows it, and Bananachek knows it. It was true in the 70s, and it's still true today. It's pricks like this that become Supreme Court justices and craft foreign policy for the neocons. Bananachek and Jay drive out to the spot when the first exchange of the cross took place. It's way out in the country. There's nothing notable there. It's beautiful, actually. They drive on and reach a small town called Live Oak. Banachek stops in to speak with a cop at the police department. Banachek asks the officer about a farm that they passed near the exchange point. An old man and his handicapped daughter live there. The officer says that they left from Mexico City about a week before the cross was stolen. Hmm. And that they must have come into some money. So Banachek visits them in Mexico City. The daughter, Cecilia, tells Banachek that a man came by their home asking for water. Celia's father told him about the shrine, and the man offered them some money in return for 10 drawings commissioned by Celia. Banachek and Jay travel back to Celia and her father's farm. Banachek snoops around. He finds a pile of cigarette butts in the barn, as if some men had been smoking there waiting for something. Suddenly, he hears a noise and investigates. An old man runs off and Banachek gives chase. Swanky chase music.
1: Hey, it's all right.
0: Me and Jay catch the old man and convince him they won't harm him. The old man is Enrique Rojas. He explains that he's a friend of the father and promised he'd watch the animals while the father was at the shrine. The old man says a crazy white man was there for two or three days and he was firing his rifle at beer cans. The white guy told the old man to leave. He left, but then sneaked back two nights ago while the white guy was gone. When he saw Banachek's car, he thought the crazy white guy was back and might kill him, so he ran. Then Banachek, for some reason, asked Jay to dig in the garden. Jay finds a body, the crazy white guy. You know what's missing from this episode? The Jay's bogus theory segment and the Felix intelligence gathering segment and the physical skill segment. Well, except for chasing the old man, I guess that was some physical skill. There are plenty of beautiful women. The granddaughter gets better looking as the episode goes on. One recurring trope that I think gets overlooked because of Banachek's towering chauvinism is his sociopathic callousness towards the lives of others. Dead bodies don't seem to phase him at all. When Jay dug up the dead white guy, Banachek seemed not to care beyond it being a new clue to the caper. Last episode, when Deacon Jones' uh, character was run over dead in the street, same reaction now we're entering that part of the episode where stuff happens and we don't know exactly what it means but banachek acts like it all makes sense to him the get and the big reveal in this episode the get scene and the big reveal kind of blend into one long scene so let's look at the get first Banachek and Weymouth enter the barn in the farm, and Banachek clears some space on the dirt floor to map out how the crime went down. Let's listen to the clip.
1: The Mercedes left with the real cross, but when it got a signal, a second Mercedes, exactly like the first, left this farm with two men who looked exactly like the Mexican couriers, Colonel Perez and Padre Borda. They had to be almost physical doubles to match the real pictures and their fake credentials they carried the phony cross they got to the rendezvous first met the american couriers father cass and the marshal handed over the phony cross which was taken directly back to the archbishop while they brought the mercedes back to the farm now a second rolls royce was also stashed here at the farm the duplicate rolls with two men dressed exactly like the American couriers, Father Cass and the Marshal, went to the rendezvous, met the Mercedes with the Mexican couriers who handed them the Cross of Bayonne, the real one. Good Lord, they just handed it to them. Why not? It was dark. The two sets of couriers had never met. The doubles were picked with care. And remember, both sides expected to see a priest and a man in an officer's uniform, and that's what showed up. The phony rolls returned here with the cross while the Mercedes went back to Derezzo's. The doubles were paid off and went about their business taking one of the cars with them. And that's that.
0: All right, so that was a long clip. That's okay. Um, so I'm going to recap a little bit too. It's a little bit redundant, but okay. So the Mercedes left D'Rezzo's house with the real cross. So when it got a signal, a second Mercedes, exactly like the first, left the farm, which was closer to the rendezvous, with a fake cross and also containing doubles of Colonel Perez and Padre Borgia. They got to the rendezvous first and made the exchange with the American couriers, Father Cass and the Marshal handed over the fake cross, which was taken to the archbishop. They took the Mercedes back to the farm. A second uh, Rolls-Royce was stashed at the farm. It left for the rendezvous with doubles of Father Cass and the marshal. It met the Mercedes, the real one, and accepted the real cross. The phony Rolls-Royce returned to the farm with the real cross. Johnny Mars hired the doubles and then was killed to separate any ties between the organizer and the doubles okay here's the thing um banachek doing it again I, I actually i really enjoy in these episodes how they have these extremely convoluted um and wild capers right? these crazy stories where the really elaborate criminal plans um I I kind of think I wouldn't like it, but I do like it because um, they're so wild and bizarre and they really make you suspend your disbelief. They're they're fun. Now, they're, they are super plot heavy. And I think if you get too bogged down in the details, you'll end up having to watch it like 10 times like I did just to figure out what the hell is going on. But I don't know that you need to care anyway. I mean, it's a light show. It's not CSI Miami. Um, it's a light show. So. All you need to know is there's some really elaborate caper and um, that they, they they had some doubles and they pulled kind of a switcheroo and, and that's good enough. Um, I don't think you really need to get bogged down in the exact details. But if you do, it does make sense. But it's, it's super plot heavy while the episode's going. So I think that could let a few people down. But I actually, this is, to me, this is the best part of the episodes is that they have these crazy elaborate criminal schemes and um, they're just, they're unbelievable i i like that about the show that's that's like one of the main things i like about the show the thing i think of that the way the show lets the viewer down is just how chauvinist banachek is and how elitist he is and uh that part is a little more annoying to me but the actual capers how preposterous they are that, that's the best part all right so where are we at so Banachek purports to not know who organized the crime yet. He says they'll wait for the organizer to come back to the farm for the cross. He leaves to put the car behind the shed and out of sight. Just then, Weymouth darts into the bedroom and pulls a wooden cross down from the wall above the bed. He takes the wooden cross apart and inside is the fake cross. Banachek enters the room, and Weymouth pulls a gun on him and demands to know where the real cross is. Banachek tells Weymouth that he picked a good hiding place, except that Anselmo is an artist, and that he would never make a cross like the one hanging on the wall. Also, it has Jesus died for us printed in English across it. So Weymouth could care less. He asked Banachek where the cross is, and he says it's at the diocese. The archbishop has it. Then Banachek tells Weymouth how he knew. Let's listen to the clip.
1: Don't you want to know how he knew it was you? It had to be someone in all the details of the plan. Someone who could take photographs of the credentials that the doubles would use. You did that when you ran your check on them. Then you broke into Derezzo's house and made a wax impression of his seal. And made it look like an attempt in robbery. It also had to be someone who could give the signal at the right time. That was the key. And you were the one that called the border from Derezzo's house and told them the cross was on the way. So the border could call the archbishop and send the car to get it. What about it? That was part of the procedure. You didn't call the border. You called Johnny Mars. Johnny Mars had used your name and called the border 15 minutes before you left Arezzo's house. You had to get the American courier down there early and give him the phony cross so your men could go in and get the real cross. It was a pretty good plan. Would have made a lot of money, too. Morgan would have paid you a million bucks, wouldn't he? Even if he couldn't show it publicly. Yes, he would have. And you ruined it. Wait a minute! A good try.
0: So what you're hearing at the end there is uh, Weymouth concedes to the crime and then he's going to shoot Banachek when the police arrive and Banachek takes Weymouth's gun and the police take him away. So now we see Banachek with the granddaughter at the airport and they're saying goodbye and she says there's another plane uh, to Boston in a couple of hours and Banachek says there's another one in the morning so was it a good episode well it had a couple of moments i mean it was laughable as usual um i did like again i like the crazy wild capers um i think that's the real strength of this show but otherwise i, I think um uh, banachek as a character is, he's not likable um, i don't really he's terrible I don't really like him at all. There's no real character in this that I like that much. Um, well, I do like Carly. You haven't really seen her much. She was in the pilot episode, and she'll come back for a few episodes. But um, no, I don't really, I don't really like. I mean, George Papard, I don't, I don't think much of his acting at all. I don't enjoy him very much as a character. But yes, I love the crazy wild capers that they that they cook up, and the big reveals are wonderful. They're really well done it just, it kind of makes the whole show worthwhile. The intro music for today's episode was Sweeter Vermouth, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Check out the link in the show notes. Thank you for listening today. Check out the show notes for this episode or any episode on my website at ptpod.xyz. The show notes contain the links to all my sources and products that were referenced in the episode. You can write a glowing review of my podcast on iTunes or Google Play. There are handy-dandy links in the menu on my website at ptpod.xyz. And you can support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash ptpod. Next week on the Predictably Treacherous podcast, we'll continue with Season 1 of Banachek, A Million the Hard Way, guest starring Margot Kidder, Banachek investigates the disappearance of a million dollars that vanishes from a display case in a busy casino in front of dozens of potential witnesses. Tune in next week. Thank you